BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girl Bomb. Girl Bomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self care. So, to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you, and treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I'm the pastor of Elevation Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you. Hope it builds your faith. Hope it gives you perspective to see God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Now, John chapter 5, verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. You're going to love this because you've been wanting to say this anyway on my title, and I'm going to let you say it right now. And because I'm telling you to say it, you will have permission to say it. Look at the person next to you and, and tell them this, and tell them in a convincing way. Say, trust me. I'm trying. I'll try. You may be seated. I promise I am. I really am trying. I know I don't always hit the mark, but I really am trying. Because for me, I have a rule, especially as a boss, um, the people that work for me, is that I always try to make it a point never to punish somebody who's trying to be proactive. I feel like if somebody makes a mistake because they took it a little too far, that's a little… Did you, did Jesus, Jesus let Peter cut Malchus's ear off in the garden and put it back on like Mr. Potato Head, but I think he liked Peter because Peter wouldn't just sit around. Peter was like, all right, I can do something about this. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak, and I'm about to use my flesh to cut off. And, and that's, that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Now the kids will call somebody a tryhard. It's, it's, it's like a way of saying, you know, if, if it looks like you, you try, try too hard on your outfit. And I get that. But I like people who will give it a level of effort. And even if they miss, they swing so big. I've always liked people like that. I thought I should tell you this. If I ever come up here to preach and I don't do good, which I'm sure happens, it won't be because I didn't try. 
So if you ever see me up here struggling in this pulpit and you're like, I don't really understand this one. I think I see what he was trying to do. Did you catch that? Number one, it's probably your fault because you didn't pray enough before you came to church. I'm just kidding. But trust me, I'm trying. And I think sometimes it can be frustrating when you are giving your best effort, but what is required of you is beyond your ability. And I'm going to try to ignore this fly buzzing around my head, but touch somebody and say, I'm trying. I'm, I'm really trying. I'm really You must have had to really trust Jesus to follow him when he walked the earth. People say, Oh, I wish I could have followed Jesus and got, walked with him. You know? Now it's harder because God is not visible like that, and it would have been so cool. No, it wouldn't. It would have been so difficult to trust Jesus, and he was always getting in so much trouble. He was always explaining his actions and his intentions after the fact. And what that required from his disciples was just this crazy amount of trust. I'm trying. I'm really trying. Whatever you do, just pray for me. Do them all. Do them all. Let's back up and see why he's feeling so feisty today. Sometime later, verse 1, John chapter 5, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there's in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, means house of mercy, and is surrounded by five covered colonnades or porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. It's important to note before I go on that this is a specific dwelling place for people with physical infirmities. And the reason I point that out is because I'm going to make some spiritual parallels to the physical infirmities that are mentioned in this passage. But I don't want us to miss the historicity for the sake of application. I think that would be irresponsible Bible teaching. The people who were at this particular hospital, if we can even call it that, it was more like a public service. This pool was not a resort pool. <laughs> Nobody is bringing you little umbrellas in your drink at this pool. This is a crowded pool, and it's pushing and shoving. And word has it that if you can get in the pool when the angel stirs the water intermittently, you can get healed. And this puts certain people who have certain disabilities at an advantage over others. For instance, it said there were the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And so if you're a blind man by this pool, you can probably feel your way to the edge of the pool so that when there's an opportunity to get in and be healed, you'll be the first one there. But if you're paralyzed, it puts you at a disadvantage, because even if you get yourself to the edge of the pool, there's a chance that someone else can pull you back. You are powerless. And that's an interesting thing about life. I was out at the ball field last baseball season. And I saw this really good dad with a fanny pack. He didn't look happy. <laughs> he didn't look like, you know, these are the days, making memories. He didn't look selfie ready. But you know what I liked about him? He was carting this wagon. He looked like he had some snacks for his kids, 
Maybe he was on snack duty that day. And I just admired him because he was trying. I watched him pull that wagon up the hill. I thought about it, how he was trying. He was sweating all through his shirt. You could tell he came straight from work. It wasn't a baseball shirt. He must have had the wagon that he packed the night before because he didn't have time to change the shirt, but he just came out there. Shirt was untucked on one side. Looked like he spilled a little something on the collar. And he was sweating through it, but he was trying. And I've always loved the scripture that says that Jesus looked at one man and he loved him. I thought about that a lot lately, how Jesus would show up to a place and look for somebody who was at a disadvantage. I kind of imagine him walking around the pool at Bethesda, and I'm sure his disciples were shocked that he would waste time with a bunch of people who they would call crippled. That's not a PC term, but that's how they would have put it. Sickness was connected to spiritual disorder in this time. Judaism in the first century made a strong connection between your spiritual condition and your physical condition. So, like if you had money, that was a proof that you were living right. It's how they thought about it. We know that's not always the case. <laughs> we know a lot of times some of the greatest people who are the most faithful to God, they might not live in a big house on earth, but we'll probably be cleaning their toilets in heaven for the treasure that they're storing up after this life. And yet there's this tendency to just judge things by the physical, always for all of us. So I kind of picture him. Uh, Jesus walking around and asking questions. One interesting thing that's in the text, let me show you this real quick. It's too cool for me just to reference. I want to make sure it's very vivid. Yeah, it said, um, one who was there, verse 5, had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned. Now, what stood out to me about that text wasn't that Jesus saw him. What stood out to me about this text wasn't that the man had issues. We all have issues. And frankly, we all have areas of paralysis. And I'm going to talk about yours in seven minutes, so buckle in and get that judgmental look off your face because I'm coming for you. On this particular occasion, what stood out to me is Jesus learned. I didn't think he could do that because he's the image of God, he's the wisdom of God. How can the wisdom of God learn information? I figured that he must have been walking around asking, how about her? How long has she been here? Somebody said, well, uh, she just got here last week. Jesus said, nah, not her. How about him? How long has he been like that? That blind guy right there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's recent. It's recent. It's been it's been two months, I think. Two months? Two months? Jimmy, two months? Yeah, two months. Two months and three days. Yeah, two months and three days. No, no, no. Not him. How about that one? Three years. Eh, we'll see. Put him on standby because he's looking for somebody to heal. He's looking for somebody who can experience a miracle. He's looking for a platform to demonstrate his power. How about him? Five years. Eh. How about her? Seven. How about that guy? How long has he been like that? Nine years. Eh. Getting closer. How about him? And finally, somebody figures out how they like, well, if you want somebody who's been here a while, I see what you're doing. 
38 years. Long enough that he has given up hope that anything can ever be different. And Jesus learned that there was one. I'm going to try so hard not to cry when I say this to you. But verse 5 says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. What does it mean that Jesus, who only had three years to do ministry and was on his way to a feast, would come by for one? Does it mean, could it mean that out of everybody that I'm preaching to today, out of everybody that made a decision to show up at a campus, that God might want the one in the back who got here 12 minutes late, pulling a wagon, just trying to get through the week? Could it be that God is looking for the one who had the worst week, the worst upbringing, the one that other people said could never be anything? The one who has gotten so used to how it is. This is really what happens in life. You get so used to how it is that you cannot recognize that how it used to be is no longer what's in front of you. All right, so let's work on this a little bit. Bring him here, Jesus says. Now, when you get to heaven, you'll probably be shocked who's there and who's not. How many agree? There's going to be some people in heaven that are going to shock us. Like, whoa, she made it? That must have been like a thief on the cross, deathbed kind of. She got in right under the wire. Whoa, they made it? I thought they believed weird stuff. They were new agey, and they made it? I think we're going to be surprised who's there and who's not. Because I think we're always surprised who God picks and who he uses and who he doesn't. One was there who had been lying there for so long that you can even tell in his response and the questions Jesus asked him that, that he, had, he had gotten tired of trying. My message today is for anybody who's tired of trying in an area of your life, tired of trying to repair a significant relationship, tired of trying to be open so that you can experience relationships, tired of trying to overcome the thing that you keep going back to, and it's been since you were even in your teens, and now you're a grown man. I edited it for YouTube, and now I'm tired of trying because there was a time where I tried to get people to help me to get into the pool, but now I found out that there's no one to help me. Now, what's mind-blowing about the situation at the pool at Bethesda is how many different ways I have heard this preached that completely contradict the heart of God. For instance, when Jesus comes up to the man and learned that he had been lying there and he had been in this condition for a long time. Pause. How many of y'all have been in a certain condition for a long time? Jesus, I need help. There's three honest people in the church, and I forgot I was coming out to speak to the perfect saints, the 10 out of 10 A-plus saints. I forgot I was talking to the all-stars today. I thought I was coming to Elevation where they're not afraid to be real. In your name, amen. How many of y'all have had certain patterns of thinking that have been negative 
for a long time. I mean a long time. I don't know how old the man was, but 38 years, trust me, I'm 39, is a long time. This is the entire span of my natural life, and for so long he's been unable to move that now he cannot recognize the help that is standing right in front of him. And Jesus asks a question that I have often heard misinterpreted when he says, do you want to get well. Tone is everything. That's why you can't text every conversation, because tone is everything. Sometimes you need to pick up the phone and call people, because completely depending on the tone is how you see the heart of Jesus. I always read it for a long time like Jesus said, do you want to get well? I almost see him now like he's got something in his back pocket. And he's sneaking around the pool looking for somebody. They say God helps those who help themselves, but I almost see Jesus looking for somebody who can't. And he's like, I see you caught in the situation. You want to get well? And the man has every reason to be suspicious. Can you imagine how many people have taken advantage of him in almost 40 years of suffering? How many hustlers have come through the pool at Bethesda trying to sell a magic potion or some bubbling water? Hey, I got some cream, man. Put it on your legs. I promise it's blessed. Hey, man, I promise you, I'll bring you to the pool. I'll push you in when the water starts bubbling. Just give me half now and half after the move. I promise you, I can carry you in. I got you. How many times did somebody make him a promise? Because it seems cruel that Christ. The expression of the love of God would stand over a man who couldn't move and ask him such a ridiculous question. Do you want to lose weight? <laughs> well, yeah. Do you, do you want to be happy? Well, yeah. Do you want to be able to live at peace without anxiety? Well, yeah. What you selling? I heard this spiel before. I tried that diet. How many of y'all tried that diet before? I put a meditation app on my phone. <laughs> y'all, to be honest with you, I got four meditation apps on my phone. I tried all of them. I either fall asleep or my leg starts doing like that. I can't do it. Everybody tells me to meditate. The Bible says meditate. Russell Brand says meditate. Joe Rogan says meditate. Everybody's telling me to meditate. I tried it. I really did try it. They also taught me about portion control. I tried portion control. How many of y'all tried? Somebody told me one time, they said, here's how, you, here's how you stay at an ideal weight. When you're full, stop eating. My only problem, I never found full. <laughs> that gauge got broken somewhere in my childhood. I never felt full, so I kept eating. I tried that. Oh, they say if you don't complain, you will feel more connected to God. I tried it, but I found out sometimes if you don't complain, nothing changes. I tried so hard not to complain. I, one time I was going to go seven days without complaining, and I thought if I could do it, I could make a sermon out of it. I thought I could call it, you know, seven days, a week of worship or something like that. I tried so hard not to complain for seven days. What happened was, 
<laughs> and this is so embarrassing to admit to you. The more I tried not to complain externally, because sometimes you can fix the symptom. Now I'm in the text. You can fix the symptom and stop trying to complain, but the root of it, what happened to me was I went five good days without complaining, but on day six, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down a day early. Everything in my path was, oh, it was a tornado. It was a downpour. Because when you fix the symptom, but don't address the system that created the symptom, the end is worse than the beginning. You want to get well? Well, yeah. I'm trying. When you get to heaven, you'd be surprised who's there and who's not. But one thing you might really be shocked about, this dude, whoever he is in John 5, is going to have a long line of preachers waiting to apologize to him for how we misinterpreted his story in John chapter 5. Oh, I've heard everything. I've heard it said that in 38 years, the man should have been able to crawl or roll his way to the edge of the pool. Yeah, like that would work. Because now somebody stronger than you is just going to pull you back at the moment. You're still powerless to fall in at the right time. And besides, when has Jesus ever taunted someone into transformation? You really think that's the spirit of the Savior? Some of us do. We really picture God like standing over us in our minds, our concept of God like, you don't want it bad enough. If you would have done it different when they were eight, they wouldn't have been in so much trouble when they were 18. See, you screwed them up. That's what God sounds like to a lot of us. So it's no surprise that when we hear Jesus say, Do you want to get well? He says it with a snarl, you know? Do you even want to get well? Do you even lift? Are you even serious? I mean, prove it if you do. If you want to get well, say, I want to get well. So why did he ask it? Why did he ask the man, Do you want to get well? before he helped him get up and walk? And as I prayed through that this week, I realized that before Jesus could help him walk, he had to help him want. I don't know who this is for, but God is dealing with your desires in this season of your life. You have been disappointed over and over and over again. And every time you try, nobody notices. And every time you try, you come up short. Sickness is cyclical. It comes around, it goes around. You're well for a little while, and then it's the same thing all over again, but this time it's only worse. Because now, not only are you back where you started, but you have less hope that it is ever going to be different because you've cycled through it one more time just to realize, well, I guess I'm just a cynical person. 
well, I guess I'm just a negative person. I guess nobody in my family was meant to go to college. I guess, see, when you hang around the colonnades with people who are sick, sickness becomes normal to you. And it starts to be easier for you to just accept the condition than to challenge it. Because to challenge the condition means to risk disappointment. And some of us have tried, got blocked. Tried, got blocked. Tried, got blocked. And now people see you and they assume that you don't care. No, I care. I cared and I cared so much, but they didn't care back. And I tried so hard and I still got looked over. And don't you know it's hard when your expectation has been damaged by disappointment? It's a slow damage. It's a slow tearing of the muscle fibers. It's a slow deterioration of your hope by disappointment. It is not one event that creates it. It's over and over. I tried and I tried and I smiled and I stayed and I cooked and I parented and I disciplined and I showed up and I didn't care. And the man has finally gotten to a place, I believe, where he is tired of trying. Are you? It's supposed to be the Sabbath. It's supposed to be a day of rest. Why did Jesus stop by the pool on the day of rest to perform a miracle? You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. This may offend you, but it won't be the first time. If this offends you, your, your metal detector is turned up to level 10 anyway, and you need to just turn it down. Y'all notice we live in a, a gotcha culture, an outrage culture. Just Nobody can say anything. You can't say anything anymore. And the more the people try to help us, the more we crucify them if they say the wrong thing. Have you noticed that? This is how they treat Jesus. He heals the man on the Sabbath, and all that anyone can talk about is that he did it on the wrong day. So this is what I want to say that was going to offend you. You thought that was what was going to offend you? No, 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 no. Jesus walks up on the Sabbath, and, and when he tells the man in verse 8, get up, pick up your mat, and walk, he is, he is trying to get the man to break Sabbath. So Jesus walks up to the pool, looks around, and asks the man, What's going on in, in your heart right now? Because before I can help you walk, I have to heal your will. So here's what Jesus does that we don't like. He calls BS. He calls, watch this, he calls BS. And I don't know what you're thinking about right now, but I'm talking about broken system. See, now, there's one thing in the verse, there's one thing in the verse that doesn't make sense unless you understand the historical context. When the man says, I keep trying, I keep trying to get down there, but I can never be first. I'm not fast enough. In fact, I can't move at all. I, I keep trying, but every time I try, something blocks me. And Jesus says, That's because the system is broken. If you'll notice, give me uh, verse four of the scripture. I forgot to read it. John 5, 4. Jared. It's been a long week, you know, staff advance. Jared. Where's Jared? 
Can you get him? Yeah, I need him. Verse 4 unlocks the whole thing. <laughs> we can wait. This man waited 38 years. We can wait three minutes. It's not in the manuscript. It's not available. Oh, they they added that verse later. Yeah. It's not even in the original manuscript. They they added a scripture later. They added a verse to explain the situation. It it didn't make sense, so they had to add you can go back to your job now. They had But come here real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. So a lot of times when a situation in my life doesn't make sense to me, I add a verse. I add a verse. You know how we do? It's like, okay, rather than deal with it, I would rather explain it in a way that excuses me from having to deal with it. There's a reason verse 4 isn't in there, because it's not in there. There's some stuff that you're putting in your story that doesn't belong there because God didn't speak it and it's not true anymore. You go back. See, what the man said reflects a broken system and it reflects a bad story. That's another BS. The devil has got some of us telling ourselves some really bad stories. And this man has been telling himself a story 38 years. No one wants to help me. Everybody's out to get me. Every time I try, no one wants to help me. Everybody's out to get me. Every time I try. So here comes Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus. He's never met Jesus. Jesus is new to the scene. Jesus hasn't even done the Captain D's miracle yet. That's in John chapter 6. He hasn't even gotten familiar with this guy yet. He hasn't even had an opportunity to unpack the whole historicity of his situation. So he's standing in front of Jesus and he's rightfully skeptical because he's in a broken system where the religious leaders are trying to let the first ones in and keep the rest back. And unless you keep the law this good, you can't be healed. Of course he's stuck. He's stuck in a broken system. So are some of us. He's stuck in a bad story, and so are some of us. And we've inserted verses that aren't even there. To explain why we are the way we are. We think it's our job to suffer. You know, suffering for Christ and for the good of others is one thing and sacrifice is, but to suffer the shame that He already took away from you is to snatch back what He nailed to the cross. It is not your job to suffer like that. That's a broken system. I'm telling you, men and women of the Most High God, religion is a broken system. That's why Jesus went for one to show you this is a relationship. I want to deal with you one-on-one. -on -one. I want to speak to you like a person, not like you're some kind of project, not like you're some kind of defect. I don't have anybody to help me. Trust me, I'm trying. I'm really trying. If you knew how hard I was trying, you wouldn't make fun of me like that and ask me, do I want to get well? I don't have any help. And see, that was true five minutes ago. 
but the situation has changed. What he said used to be true. It was true for a long time. And then grace shows up at the pool at Bethesda. Five porches. Five is the number of grace. Always symbolism. There's levels to this text. We could preach a series on this text. Now grace is here, and what used to be true isn't true anymore. Are you still stuck in something that used to be true, but it isn't true anymore? I bet he would be tired. 38 years of fighting off the vultures and 38 years of looking out for yourself, and you kind of have to live that way until grace becomes the dominant reality in your life. And then Jesus comes into your life, and everything changes. But sometimes we keep living off of the, the old story, the bad story. No one will help me. And Jesus is like, I'm someone. Now, the question is this. How did Jesus command the man to get up if the man couldn't walk in the first place? A careful reading of the text will reward us in this moment. One interpretation is that his healing was his reward for obedience. That's religion. It's a bad story. Because the fact of the matter is, if trying harder could have made me better, I'd be better by now. I tried that diet. I tried that. I wasn't going to do this, and I wasn't going to do that, and I wasn't going to do the other. You've tried that already. And if it could work, it would have worked by now. So the man said, I'm trying. And Jesus said, Trust me. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. I'm trying, Jesus said, and trust me. I'm trying, trust me. That's the real task, is to trust. That's always been the real work. John chapter 5 isn't a text about being lazy. Come on, get up, make up your bed, get on the treadmill, go get them, tiger. This is your day. This is not a pep talk. This is a complete reversal of the systems of this world. It is a contrast of works and grace. That's why it had to happen on the Sabbath. The moment that he picked up his mat, he was doing work. And the moment that he was doing work, it made everybody who was in power mad because he wasn't supposed to do work. The whole reason that Jesus showed up for one person was that he wanted to overturn an entire system. There is one situation in your life right now 
that God is trying to use. And by addressing this situation, I promise you, it's going to change the whole system. Because up until this point, you've been trying, trying. I'm trying to love God. I'm trying to pray more. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to eat my broccoli. I'm trying to be a nice person. I'm trying to be kinder. I'm trying to do better. And God said, I see you trying. Will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to get up when you feel like you can't get up? To praise me when you don't feel like you want to praise me? Do you trust me enough? I know you've been trying, but do you trust me? This is a trust moment. This is a trust decision. Sometimes my trying gets in the way of my trusting. And this man got up because he had been healed. And you keep thinking that you will be healed if you can get up, but you can't. And you're trying. And you're trying. And here's what's so funny about the text to me. The man said, I'm trying. And Jesus said, so am I. I'm trying to help you. I knew you couldn't reach that water. I, I knew you grew up in a really, really hard environment and there was some abuse. And I know you're trying to be a better man than your dad was. Or I know that you're trying to be a better mom than your mom was. Or I know you're trying to figure things out when the complexities are greater than anything you've ever seen. I see you trying. And I'm trying. Since you can't get to the water, I brought water to you. And what it does when you get up and you do what you didn't think you could do, it shocks the system. God said, some of you who have been lying in your condition for 38 years, I brought you to church today, not so you could just sing a few songs or hear a few words, but I want to shock the system. I want to stir up the waters. I want to heal. Watch this. Your will. You've lost your will. You've lost your will to be sweet. You've lost your will to be forgiving. You've lost your will to be whole. You don't even want that anymore because you tried to want it, and it hurts to have hope, especially when you're disappointed, especially when something gets in your way, especially when you keep bumping up against your own brokenness, especially when it's rigged against you. And I want to help you walk. But first, I need to help you want and to want the right things again for the right reasons to heal your desires. By the pool of Bethesda, here comes walking living water. That's what he told the Samaritan in John 4. He said, Within you will be rivers of living water. So I know you can't get to the water. Let the water come to you. You will not receive certain things in your life from trying, but only by trusting. Dan, we were at a pool seven or eight years ago, and Elijah wanted to swim, and we went down there. It was a hotel pool. And it had that hotel pool smell. 
but we went in anyway. We just, he was, I guess at that point, seven years old, so I had to get some energy out, so we got in the pool. As soon as we got in, the doors busted open. The hotel manager said, hey, sir, I advise you to get out of that pool. I said, why? It's like the middle of the day. I'm like, stupid hotel rules. You know, I'm not one to really like stupid rules. I'm like, it's the middle of the day. There's nobody here. I am a registered guest. And by the time I'm in the middle of my imaginary speech, I'm usually nice externally. It's just what happens on the inside that makes me go to hell. But I said, I said about the time I was about to say what I was about to say, he said, we just shocked it. I said, well, next time we'll give you notice before we come. I don't want to shock your pool. He said, no. He said, sometimes the water, you know, once a week or something, has to have a, a treatment. We call it shocking the pool. Because when the chlorine combines with the. I really don't want to tell you all this that's in this pool. This is a hotel pool, sir. Bacteria, sweat, other fluids, pool fluids, hotel pool fluids. So once a week, we got to shock it. Once a week, I come to church because sometimes my heart gets mixed up with some substances, some contaminants, some disappointments. Sometimes this world pollutes me, so when I come to church, please understand, I'm coming to treat my disappointments because I need living water, and I don't want to die by the pool. So I came to church, and, and I don't know if you came to church for this reason. I don't really know why you came, but tell somebody, shock the waters. Jesus said, I came down to the pool at Bethesda, not just to look around and go home and, and pray a nice prayer, but I came to this pool, this house of mercy, to shock the waters. And it just might be that God brought you here this week because you've been in a state of disappointment, but God said, I'm about to shock the waters. I'm about to stir it up. You don't have to wait for an angel. You don't have to wait for somebody to get out of your way. You don't have to wait for a situational improvement. And we beheld his glory, the fullness of the Father, full of grace and truth. Living water is in the house. Trust me. I'm trying to bless you. I hear the voice of the Lord. Trust me. I'm trying to help you raise those kids. Trust me. I'm trying. You say, well, well, God doesn't try to do anything. He either does or he doesn't. Then why did Jesus go to Nazareth and it says he couldn't do many miracles there? He tried to, but they tripped. I believe there are many for whom this message is just another Bible message. I believe there are some and maybe even few, that this is a definitive word for your life. You have been like that man. You have been paralyzed in an area of your life for a long time, and you've been trying, but you've been bitter for eight years, 
over what the business partner did, and you keep trying. This is not about trying. This is about trust. You've been going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for so long, and today God is saying, let the water come to you. Father, we declare this our Sabbath, where we rest from our labor and enter into your grace. With everyone standing and no one moving at every location, if this has been a season for you of frustration, a season of you going to the pool over and over, and you've been blocked so many times now that, quite honestly, you don't need just God to heal your legs or to heal your bank account or to just heal that, that one compulsive area in your life, but you need Jesus to do what he did for that unnamed man in John chapter 5 and heal your will and help you to want him again. The place to start is not pretending. The man was healed partially because he was honest. I keep trying. Every time I try, something, someone, but there's a greater someone. There is a, a greater power than anything that you are struggling with that's pulling against you. This takes faith to trust him, to really believe that he made you like he wants to make you. As short as he wanted to make you, you grew up in as small or as big of a town as he wanted you to grow up in. It takes trust. And all your life, God has been trying to position you. All your life, God has been bringing things into alignment so that you can serve his purpose. And now he's saying, Trust me. If this has been your word today and there is an area of paralysis in your life, I want you with your head bowed, your eyes closed, and not looking around. You know, this man could have spent the rest of his life, 38 more years, talking about somebody else, somebody else, everybody else, somebody else. And sometimes that's what keeps us from getting what we need from God is somebody else. What will somebody else think? But when you come to the point where you've been trying long enough and you really just want to surrender to the mystery and give God everything that you are and everything that you're not, you don't mind lifting up your hands. So if this is your word, just lift up your hands for living water in this moment and shock the waters. Shock the waters. Worship shocks the waters. Worship stirs up the complacent heart. Worship realigns your affections and reconfigures your desires so that what you want is what God wants for you. Shock the waters today. You've gotten stagnant. You've gotten complacent. You started blaming everybody and everything. And this is not a time to try harder. It's a time to trust more, to yield, and to say, yes, I'll get up. If you help me, I'm trying. Trust me. I'm trying. I'm trying to trust God, but I can't see him. I'm trying to trust God, but sometimes he feels far away. Why won't he speak to me? Why won't he help me? He says, I'm trying. I'm trying to show you my presence. I'm trying to put people around you. I'm trying to help you.
I'm here. You just are used to it. You're used to doing it alone, so you keep doing it alone. You keep telling yourself this story. You keep living in this system. But trust me. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit elevationchurch.org slash podcast for more information. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can click the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Elevation Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.